Hello, and welcome to Talk Social to Me. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and today I interview lovely Ben to talk all about how he got started in the social media space, how he became a content creator, and how he started his own digital marketing agency to help businesses grow in the digital marketing space. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. It's always interesting to see how people's lives and their careers evolve throughout the years, especially when it comes to social media and just marketing in general. So I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get right into it. Hello, Benny boy. How are you doing today? Hey, Mackenzie. I'm great. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. It is. Well, it was a gloomy day here in London. And then now it's kind of like the sun is trying to come out. That's nice. It's actually pretty beautiful here in Toronto. So I'll I'll take it. Look at that weather talk. (laughs) ultimate small talk how's the weather exactly it's what everybody wants to hear when they listen to a podcast right but but i think when you listen when you live in place where the weather is notoriously not great it's the first topic of conversation right and so it's the same with toronto and then london so i we yeah i usually ask you all the time how the weather is and and i'm genuinely curious when i ask so it's not like it's not just like i'm trying to make small talk like we're, we're past no, that absolutely. point, but I'm genuinely curious. Uh, <laughs> I am, but I'm also to... not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So today we're going to kind of shake things up a little bit. But before we do that, and I before I announce what the shakeup is, do you have a flix tip? Flix tip. That's always a banger. That was a nice little sound effect there at the end. <laughs> I had never seen that one before. We've touched on it briefly about how it's worthwhile DMing people. But I think if you sell something, it's always a good idea to try to sell through the DMs. I think a lot of people, they th- I don't know why they have such a weird thing about DMing people. And they think that it's strange. Like, I, I don't get it. Get over yourself. If you're running a business, you need to generate sales and revenue. And so if you're using Instagram or TikTok, whatever, and people are interacting with your content, it's totally cool to to message them. Right, like especially if they're interested and they ask you a question. If someone asks you a question on your content, a great place is to move it over to DMs, right? So then that way it's far more intimate. It's one on one. They're going to feel more comfortable asking questions they probably wouldn't ask in a public setting. And they're so much more likely to buy. It's an instant rapport builder. So I'd say sell through the DMs and, and don't be afraid to use them. And I guess it's like an add-on piece. I'm actually going to include this in an <laughs> upcoming video. Is like that's a great way to start building great deep relationships that you can then use the close friend story for too. So even if you're a business, having like your VIP people and a close friend story, like that's a really cool way to get creative and, and make people that. very interested in your content. And even you can give them exclusive discounts. Like one of my buddies, he runs a barbershop and I was just like, start making your VIP have people have access to this. And then like spontaneous discounts, right? Being like, oh, the first person to come in here and use this code gets a free haircut or whatever, but there's still going to be a bunch of people that come in after that didn't get the free haircut, but they're, you know what I'm saying? They're not going to be mad because like, oh, I'll, I'll come yeah. I'll get it next time. So I think those are the two ways, like use your relationship building tools and don't be afraid to actually use them. I love that. I always forget about the close friends because there's influencers that I follow all the time who were like, Oh, this was like for my close friends only, but I'm going to yeah. share it here because they told me to like share it. And I'm like, gosh, I would love to be in like <laughs> yeah. somebody's close friend circle just to see what's going on behind the scenes. 
Yeah, and I think that obviously Instagram, they're the kings of stealing features, but that's why they're the best for a business, in my opinion, because there's so many ways to get really creative and keep people checking in on you and your business all the time. And you don't even need a massive community to make that really worthwhile. Even if you only have a few hundred followers, if sailing like 30 or 50 crack the close friends, it's still an exclusive group. Absolutely. Oh, that is such a good tip. So there you go. Flicks hot, hot, hot tip. From hot ben. tips. <laughs> so today we're going to do something a little bit different. And I'm actually going to interview Ben because he has so much knowledge about being a content creator for how many years now? I've been getting paid for it for probably three, but I've been creating content since I was like six with like yeah. any camera I could find, <laughs> but professionally like four or five years. Yeah. And so, and just being an entrepreneur in your own space and having clients and working with people. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to kind of pick your brain. And I'm sure further on down the line, we're going to pick mine for all the social media yes. and random stuff that I've been doing throughout the years. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, we're definitely going to be doing that next. And because I, I have a lot of questions and I want to put you in the hot seat and get your whole story. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone who <laughs> listens to this, of course, they know us to a degree, but I think the ability to, to really understand how we got here and why we're these huge social media nerds, I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. So let's start off with the easy question is how did right. you kind of get started in the content creation space? So I was always obsessed with consuming content. I was very much an early days YouTube kid. I distinctly remember when my older sister's friends came and said like, there's this crazy new website called YouTube where you can watch these funny videos on there. And the first video I remember watching is Smosh's Pokemon video. Do you know who's, oh, do you remember who yeah. Smosh is? Yep. So it was the perfect storm because I'm a massive Pokemon nerd. Like I was just born in the perfect time and I just, I love that stuff. And so this video, I just found so funny. And then I was like, these guys are getting so many views from creating content. So that planted the seed where I was like, I really want to be doing this. And I started doing a bunch of amateur things with some friends. And then one of my friends, they actually took it quite seriously. And they were almost like, you know what Nelk is now, obviously, right? Yeah they were almost like little kid Nelk. It was like thinking back to it, it's so impressive what they executed. They actually had like full on skits and everything. They were pulling some views. And if they had stuck with that, they could have absolutely been full-time YouTubers. They were quite funny, but I was so jealous that I wasn't part of that group. So I was like, <laughs> I really, really want to do YouTube. So that was always there. But then I, I did more like business related things and I really got stuck into football. But then once I got injuries in football, I kind of had to fast forward to what I was planning on doing after the sport and yep. started creating content. And the biggest absolute light bulb moment was I was in the internship program at my school and I had three or four work placements and they were all really bad because the expectations were so off from what we were learning in school. Every business I went to, they thought they were gonna be getting some social media expert. I go of in course. there being taught nothing, like literally nothing. I paid for like a $60,000 degree. They taught me nothing about social media. I actually remember some of the stuff they taught us. And because I was running an agency at this point, I would put my hand up. I'm like, this doesn't work. <laughs> I was like, this is like three years too late, my dude. And you're here getting paid how much money? I paid how much for this course? Like right. university is not the way to go for digital marketing. But I, I learned that the hard way, or I guess the easy way, depending on how you're looking at it. And I said, okay, I'm going to become this guy. This makes sense for everything I want to do after the fact. And the market is literally screaming to me, you need to do this. So that's how yeah. I started creating content. That's incredible. So I guess 
once you obviously you went to the school and you're realizing that nobody's actually giving you the information that you actually need. Yes. What was kind of like that first video or piece of content that you made that you're like, oh shit, like this could actually be something really, really cool. The first place that I went was, so like I said, I was playing football. And that's why I went to school in the first place was to play university football. And then once I got hurt, I hurt my knee. And so I went scouring through the internet. I don't do anything half-heartedly. I go really, yeah. really hard on everything that I do. And so I <laughs> scoured the internet for content about my knee and there was nothing. So I said, okay, I'm definitely not gonna make videos about my knee forever, but there's clearly a need in the marketplace for this. So I'm gonna go make videos about my experience. And so through doing that, again, not wanting to do anything half-heartedly, I, I became obsessed with how do you get videos to actually get traction. And so I made these videos. It was a combination of understanding what to make, how to make it, and then also there not being much competition. But these first few videos I made were getting like hundreds of thousands of views. I've since unlisted oh, wow. them. But collectively, they have over a million views across like seven or eight videos. Oh, shit. And then from there, you're just like, okay, this is something that I can actually do because I'm seeing people are liking this very niche content. So how do you mm. make that switch from doing football stuff or just yeah. like talking about your experience and your injuries to doing something that is more and more of what you're doing now? Absolutely. I think for a lot of people, they have a thing, but at that age my thing was football and I wasn't playing anymore. So it was really kind of a discovery period. And there's a few ways that you can go about figuring out your voice online. And I definitely took the, the, the shotgun approach where I just approached things saying, I'm going to make content around anything that I'm passionate about, because if it hits, I'm cool with that, right? Like if I have to double down yeah. on one of these things, all of them I'm very passionate about. So I'm totally fine with that. That's definitely a slower route to growth. The sniper approach is going to be way, way faster. But if you don't know who you are, as most kids don't, and I didn't, yes, I recommend the shotgun approach. Like, obviously, if you're a business owner, take the sniper. But for me, I was just like, let's see what sticks. So I talked to, I, I had like a personal development podcast kind of stuff that I would do. I give my little like motivation Mondays kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I got roasted hard for all that stuff, but it, but it was fun and I loved it. And I, I loved, this is a big thing that I looked for too, is that, when you're creating something, pay attention to how it makes you feel. And when I was creating this, this content, even a lot of stuff that didn't hit, it made me feel like how playing football did. And I was like, okay, hey, this is obviously something that is very, very important. I think too few people listen to that. But yeah. I was doing this and then I thought about it logically. I was like, okay, hey, well, what, what do people actually want and need? And then I'm just like, oh, it's the stuff that I had to teach myself. So why the hell wouldn't I just talk about those things? And, and there's one video that I talked about because I had started a podcast at this time. And... I just shared my experience about podcasting and that video blew up for about a year oh, wow. two year period. I was the number one video when you typed in podcast or podcasting. Like how? For above Gary V, above all these things. And wow. so I owe so much of my brand and my income to that one yeah. video because yeah. that, this is a huge lesson too. If you get a single win online guys or girls, whatever, anything, anyone double down on that. So once I got that win within the podcasting space, I said, okay, I am going to milk this thing. I sent it to every podcasting related company to try to get sponsored content about like a follow-up video to this. And they all paid attention because there wasn't that many creators in that space. And so instantly I became an authority figure in a space I knew barely anything about because I had built this right. leverage from the content. So I think that was a huge light bulb moment that I ran with. Do you think that was when you kind of like found your voice? Like that was like that video that 
made you, I don't know, like that spark in your head where yes. you're like, oh, this is who my brand is. Like, like, this is what I want to start doing more and more of. 100% because it came so naturally. And looking back on it, I did so many things right by accident. Like, mm. like I look back on that video and it, it popped off and now if I would be able to deconstruct it and I would still definitely tweak some things, but <laughs> I accidentally did a lot of things right. And, and I think that is also usually a testament to you doing the right thing is if things just work out. Yeah. So that was a massive, massive light bulb moment. Plus the feedback that I received from all the people in the comment section. This was the first video that besides the ACL videos that really went to the masses. So I was getting genuine feedback and I learned so many lessons through that that have been transformative and I bring it to every piece of content that I create because I'm always thinking about the person on the other side of the screen. And that video taught me so much about that because again, it, it happened organically and by accident, like sharing my genuine experience as well as like expertise, not talk, talking with someone, not at them. Right, like those right, right. things all made such a difference. What were some of the lessons that you learned from that video that you happen to still bring to every single piece of content that you do now? I think how much the biggest light bulb moment for me, and this has made me a ton of money in affiliate marketing, is people want the the truth. So it's like, if you, they're always looking for a catch. This is very much like a sales principle as well. But if you can say, like, here's all the great, but as long as they're cool with the but, they now feel yeah. ready to make that decision. I think too many people who are trying to do affiliate marketing or sell their own products, they're all good, 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 good. And then people leave being like, what's the catch? And they're almost on edge. Whereas if you relieve that tension through the content, they're way more likely to actually go ahead and do this. And this is one of those things I did by accident. I was talking about these products and I'm like, here's the, the not great part about it, but here's how you can get around it. It's not awful. And so many people were buying these products. And I'm like, that makes sense, I guess, because they're now seeing firsthand that it would work for them and the potential drawbacks that are there. Yeah. And that's a good shout about like letting people know the pros and cons of something, because I know as a consumer of a lot of influencers and content creators out there that yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I actually buy that this mascara really does lift your right. lashes all the way to the fucking sky. Like that's not really how it works. <laughs> It's just, yeah, there's just so many people out there who is just like are feeding you the bullshit. Yes. And so that's a really good lesson for any content creator out there. Like just, you know, give the pros and the cons. It's okay. Yes. I think too many people think that if, if it's not perfect, they're not going to buy it. Every customer that buys anything knows that there's no such thing as a perfect product. It will never exist. Human beings even if something perfect theoretically could exist, we'll, we'll find a problem with it, right? So yeah. the right customer is always going to be the right customer, but they may only make the decision through you because you were honest and transparent about that. And I think that's a massive and transformative thing. And Alex Ramosi, one of the best people in marketing and sales, he has a great perspective on it too. He's like, your cons could theoretically be pros. Like for example, if you are super, super expensive, you're like, yep, yeah, we're super expensive because we're good, right? So it's like yeah. the con comes with the territory. That's such a good point. How long were you making content and like videos before that podcast video hit? Yeah. And I actually just, I skipped over so much of my social media stuff that I just remembered. I'm, I'm strictly talking about YouTube stuff here because that was the first stuff that I was doing with my face in front of the, the camera. But I was really big into Instagram theme pages before that. So I was... Okay growing and flipping Instagram theme pages around all different kinds of niches, like random stuff. Like I'm talking like makeup, like all these super weird stuff that I knew nothing about, but I knew how to grow them. So I would build them, sell them for a few hundred bucks and then repeat the process. And, and for a kid who was 
20 years old, I was like, this was, I was rich, you know what I mean? So, um, and then these principles still came over to, to, to YouTube for sure. But how long did it take? So I had made before that podcasting video, I'd probably made, yeah. I think it's somewhere in the ballpark of 30 or 30 to 40 videos, I think. Before that? Before that one. Yeah. So I'm going to go to the, uh, the first ever video I've posted on my channel, <laughs> scrolling back. A lot of these are unlisted, like I said, because they're just, they were still playing a not, not even that. I don't care about being embarrassed. I have no shame at this point, but it's, they were bringing in the wrong people. Right. And so oh, when, okay. and that's actually a lesson as well is that, so the problem is when YouTube has a video that is really doing well, when other people find your other content, they want to give you the best opportunity for success. So they'll show other people your best performers next. And so someone would come and then there'd be a huge disconnect because they came for a podcasting video and the next video they're seeing is about an ACL. Right, like there's just a massive disconnect there, <laughs> and it left for a huge drop off in potential viewership. Wow, I had made more than I thought. So I had made close to like forty videos, forty to fifty videos before that yeah. one. Yeah, and then At the least. podcast one was just the hit, and that's when yeah. everything kind of changed for you. Everything. It was a massive inflection point. I always knew that I knew what I was talking about, but I think that kind of reaffirmed it. And because I was doing this for other people, so I already was running my agency and helping them with these things. But I think doing it for yourself is a huge differentiator when you're doing anything because people can see you're, you're not just talking in theory, you're actually a practitioner and that goes a long, long way. So when did you start your agency then? You did the Instagram theme pages and then yeah. you do YouTube. So I'm guessing it was somewhere in between that where you started doing your own digital agency and working actually with clients. Yeah. So when I was running the theme pages, I was also working with clients. So essentially, I was pretty early on the whole Instagram automation thing. And so I would buy all these automation software. I would then program these, pro and programming it is being very generous in terms of the amount of work that went into this. <laughs> like I figured out how to, how to work these bots and they worked, they were a money printing machine. Like they were crazy. It was actually absurd the amount of money I was charging for how little amount of work I was doing because... <laughs> Because people didn't understand this, right? So I would go to a big business and say, I can bring in X amount of people per month. And it was very predictable at this time because Instagram wasn't saturated. They didn't have any metrics in place to track you or catch you when you were doing this this stuff. Yep. So we were doing that like crazy. And that was the beginning of the agency. So our first ever service was purely Instagram driven. It was growing people's and businesses pages. And Oh, mm -hmm. I miss those days, Mackenzie, so bad. <laughs> like, it was so Being easy. able just to like get a bot to do stuff for you. <laughs> and it worked so well because everyone was so new to this stuff. So it would work like, like I look at it now and had I had the business savvy that I have now, like I see why people built brands that are massive now back then off of those kinds of things and also cheap Facebook ads, obviously too. But the, yeah. the power back then was was really crazy. I remember these days because this was like right when obviously Instagram was first starting and people realized that they could have a presence on Instagram yes. and maybe I can not even thinking about becoming a company, but just mm. wanting to be popular and having yeah. that likes and those comments and the engagement was just so exciting. The, the hilarious thing about all of this is I wouldn't post anything on my own Instagram for like years. Yeah. My girlfriend at the time was trying to get me to post all the time. And I was like, nah, screw it. Instagram, stupid, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, oh, I can make money from this. 
I'm down. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. <laughs> so I started making all these theme pages. I think my first ever one was a, a football one, obviously, because I, I love football. And then it's growing, it's growing. And I'm like, wow, if, if this was about product specific stuff, you could make a ton of money. And then that's what started the theme pages. And then, oh, if I could do this for like not even real businesses, I wonder if I can do it for people that have something to sell. And then that's the, the snowball effect. That's insane. Like when I started, I didn't even have Instagram because I was like, I don't care about this. Like I yeah. don't care about social media. And then now, <laughs> 10 years us. later, I'm still Look at us now. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> Both of us just really fully hating it and then being like, eh, I guess I could do something with this. <laughs> no, I actually did. When I told my girlfriend that I was running this agency, she's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I've been trying to get you to, to post <laughs> stuff on Instagram for like a year. And now you're just doing it. I was like, yeah, I, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah, I am. That's exactly right, babe. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it was definitely uh, not not ideal, but, but it it started things and it was just such a, when things are e early, things are easy typically, right? And, and so yeah. there's definitely always, it's great to have an early movers advantage. So I, I ran with that until it stopped being a thing. And then we transitioned over to YouTube because once it's stopping a thing, it's stopping a thing hard. And that's why uh, a lot of people were, were coming to us after the fact who, so luckily what we were doing, it didn't trash accounts because none of them were fake people. They were all real people, but brought there through automated actions, right? So people still made the conscious decision to click follow. They weren't fake accounts. They were real people. Whereas a lot of people were selling fake followers and fake engagement yes. and that trashed people accounts. The one thing that was really sad is as my agency grew, more and more people were reaching out to me. A lot of people had massive followings that were completely fake. And this was their sole source of income. So they're coming to me being like, what, ben, what do I do? My whole, like my I have kids, it's purely relying on this income. And I'm, and I'm sitting there telling, like, I'm also very blunt. So I said, mate, I hate to break it to you. You're better off starting from scratch. You've torched this thing. Like this thing is done. So that was tough. But I think people are finally coming to terms with that. Jeez. Yeah. Because it, it was such a big thing. That's how we got followers at the first place. And then brands would quote unquote, trust people that had a large following and then yeah. not actually look at the actual engagement of what was actually what was going on with their accounts. So now that you have this agency, and then you rolled it into YouTube, and you're doing YouTube videos and content for different various clients, what does a typical day look like for you? So I still create a fair amount of content, obviously, for myself and for, for Flick. But a lot of it is spent in finding opportunities for people in underserved areas. So I spot an area of demand that doesn't have a lot of supply. And then for mm -hmm. our clients, if I know that I can bring the right people, I'll tell them to make X video. And then our team will then put it together and, and create that content. So a big, a big point of my specialty is spotting opportunities and then allowing them to actually fill those. Okay. And that sounds very vague, but so basically I study content. I study content and I break down the principles of successful content and, but from a business angle, right? So some people spend, okay, I'm purely studying virality, but I would, I'm more concerned with virality to a lesser extent and more so who is seeing these videos and what that translates in terms, in terms of money, right? So our, most of our clients are either software companies or people selling a high ticket service. So they don't need yep. as much traffic if it's done so in a concentrated way. And so I'm far more concerned with getting the right people to love this video and find this video than simply millions of people. That makes sense. And so when you're breaking down different pieces of content for clients, what is your mm -hmm. approach to showing them like, this is what we should be doing. This is why we should be doing it. So our thesis for 
our clients is that big term decisions are made through long form content or, or big time decisions are made through long form content. So we focus the vast majority of our time on long form. And it's about stressing the importance of what those views can translate into in terms of the bottom line for their business. I think that's a tougher sell. And I think that's why you see so many people that have short form content agencies. And I don't think those are going to last because short form views are garbage. Like they yep. are absolutely trash. Just read through the <laughs> comments and you can see it. It is absolute BS. No one's spending money there unless it's like a $50 product or less. And most people we work with are selling very expensive products. So it would just never work. So we go through the process of saying like, how do we bring content best practices to a less competitive niche? Like we've had mm -hmm. surgeons, we've had like landscapers, like more, <laughs> and like, how do we make that as mainstream as possible to the right people, right? So that that is, that can be a challenge, but there's always creative ways to make uninteresting things more interesting to bring in the right people. And so we typically just coach them on how to create content. And it's basically like, how it works. We find someone who wants to work with us. I go through and scour through, is, is there any competition in this space on YouTube now? Oftentimes, luckily there's not. And so I'll say, okay, like <laughs> here is the low hanging fruit. Let's go make these videos. We get them to make those first because it slowly builds up ranking authority. And then over time we start throwing out more and more kind of bigger, loftier potential videos that are still getting fed traction from the videos we made earlier that we knew would do okay. And, and then it's basically mm -hmm. just a, a a cycle of doing that and getting the right people in and then optimizing people's funnel to actually convert those into traffic because a lot of money flows through YouTube because people trust yes, the long form nature of content. And that's why yeah. we built our core offering around this because people will come and spend thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars because of watching YouTube videos. And that happens far less anywhere else. So I'm trying to like trying to figure out the timeline for you. So you hate Instagram, figure out you can make yeah. money on Instagram, start yeah. doing these theme pages, and then mm -hmm. you kind of can you start building your agency and then you switch to YouTube. So yes. in that agency, what was your first client? Like how did you get people to even buy into what you're selling? So I showed these people my theme pages and I was like, I did this for them. I can do this in a targeted way for you if you're a local business or whatever you sell because the bot was pretty easy to target, especially with how primitive hashtags and things were back then or locations. Yeah. It was very easy to find the right people. And so I would basically just say, hey, here's, here's what I've done. Like, What would this kind of numbers mean for you and your business? And then offer it to them on a monthly service. So I'd, I'd charge them an upfront fee to set up the bot and then an ongoing monthly retainer to keep it running. And so that was a very low overhead business because the bot had a license where you could have like 30 accounts for like 10 bucks a month or something absurd. And then I oh, was wow. selling the service of, of doing that and actually monitoring these pages. I, I gave them some content direction, but as a one man team, <laughs> I didn't want to have to take that on myself. I learned that lesson very, very quickly because my, one of my first ever clients was a real estate agent and I over promised hard. And that was a massive lesson to, of the importance of who you're selling to, because yeah. I, he was banking on me being his Lord and savior through my marketing efforts. And that's never something that you want. You want someone who can actually afford the services and what you want to make. And so that was, that was the beginning of the agency. That's so fascinating. And so from there, you start making these theme pages, you start building people's accounts up, you do all this stuff. How were you getting more and more clients? And so you obviously are approaching them with yeah. showing them how you're doing these theme pages, but with that transition of 
whatever happened from the Instagram yeah, yeah. to the YouTube? Like, what was that transition like? So the initial clients I got from just pound and pavement. So I have a large background in sales. And so I literally would do cold calls or if it's a local business I was trying to sell to, like one of our clients was once a pet store and I literally just walked in and I said, is the manager around? And then luckily, if you have a service that makes people money, people really like to talk about it. So they were yeah, very much open to telling their other business friends. And so then I had a ton of people coming in that way. And so like I kept doing that until the well ran dry and that was no longer an option. And so then I kind of was forced to, I had to drop all my clients, obviously, because these things weren't working anymore. And Correct. so yeah. I, I went from having... I was making so much money in college at this time. It was amazing. And then uh, it all stopped instantly. And I was just like, and that's oh, panic crap. mode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I was balling at this time. Like, go, you know, I was had, <laughs> going, like buying drinks for my friends at the bar because things were so cheap. And I was like, let's go. That hit me hard. And that was also another big lesson to be versatile and also not relying on one, one thing. Definitely pivot. Yeah. yeah. To be able to pivot and then also diversify. That's what I was looking for. But luckily, the saving grace was. I was diversified in my own form of content because all the while I was building this, I was focusing on building my podcast and my YouTube up for myself. And so I had now proven that skill and thought, well, why couldn't I apply the same sort of approach to what I was doing for people on Instagram now with YouTube, just targeting a different clientele. And that was the biggest learning curve to move it over to YouTube was because the client was so different. Everyone wants yeah. to be on Instagram far less people want to be on YouTube or have the conviction to actually win on YouTube. Those that do can win huge, but there's far less of them. And so you need more leverage to get those people as clients for sure. That's a good point. I feel like a lot of people are just trying to figure out, okay, so I started my freelancer. I started my own company. Now, how am I going to get all of these clients in? Because mm -hmm. I know I was in full panic mode when I first started out because I was like, okay, I'm, I want to do this, but how do I approach these people? Like, how do I yeah. even start getting anybody in? And then did it from there, did it start becoming more and more word of mouth? Yeah. Word of mouth has been huge for us. We've only brought on our first salesperson ever this year because it oh, was wow. all pure word of mouth. Uh, also, I'm kind of taking too much credit for like the con from word of mouth because I pounded the pavement first. Like I definitely built the initial things. And then from there, it was a lot easier, obviously. But I think if you are brand new and you're trying to get people to try it, you just have to make it a, a no-brainer, right? So I would go to these people and say, I'll do it for a week for free. And if you like it, fantastic. If you don't, we'll move on and we're all good. So I think making it an irresistible offer, I think, again, to quote Hermosi, that's exactly what he <laughs> says. And I was doing all these things. I just didn't brand it like he is doing now. And so that was a massive, massive thing. And then luckily with YouTube specifically, because I was a practitioner, people came to me, right? So they were coming yeah. and I was talking about growing on YouTube anyways, in a lot of my content. And they were saying like, could you do this for me? And it led to so many opportunities. I think that's where the conviction and belief in YouTube came from. Cause I was this kid who hadn't even finished. I hadn't even graduated school yet. And I got paid a ton of money to be a keynote speaker because they found me on YouTube. Like oh, wow. there's no world where that would happen wow. on TikTok. Yeah, it was crazy. No. They flew me to Utah. I was the keynote speaker. I, it was a shit, shitty experience because they weren't very well organized. <laughs> but like the, the fact that that even came to be was crazy. And that was a huge, huge uh, light bulb moment for how powerful YouTube is. Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody's on here listening to this and thinking, why do, should I even care about doing YouTube? 
Ben is the reason why, because all of his pivoting, all of his, the hard work that he's been putting into it. And then long form content, like he said, is different, massively underrated. It is plus to go on like a little bit of a YouTube rant here is I don't care what your business is. There's so much less competition for who you're trying to reach over on YouTube because everyone has the same mentality that you do. They're like, what's the point of YouTube? So even if you are going to make like 10 videos, it is going to do so much for your business long-term. If you're to go look up what's like the 10 most valuable keyword terms that you would love to rank for and go make videos around those exact topics. I'm willing to bet if you're running Google ads, you're probably already paying to rank there on Google. You could be there for free with a YouTube video. So it's like people don't think about it like this. It, It doesn't even have to be hard work. Think, think smarter. You know what I mean? Not, not, not harder or work smarter. Work smarter. <laughs> Think smarter. That's ironic, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. So for maybe people listening to this who are looking for their own niche or just like their own pivot into working into YouTube or just starting to create YouTube content, what is some pieces of advice that you could give them? So I, I would go back to what I said earlier and, and kind of the experience that I went through. If you have a clear thing, that you would love to talk about for the rest of your life, absolutely take that sniper approach, talk exactly about that, obsess over that audience, that avatar, whatever word you want to attach to it. If you have no idea, think more of the shotgun approach. Like, What are things that you'd love to sample with and try? You'll feel a lot more natural when you're you're talking about the right things. And and also don't feel like you need to be put into a specific box as much. Like look look at creators like Ryan Trahan. If you want to be a true creator, you do have a lot more creative freedom. Right. So I think a lot of people like they look at edutainers and that there's such a huge distinction between them and more of a business focused person and then a true creator. Like they're very, very different. They get called the same thing, but they're so dramatically different. So I think figuring out what you actually want to even be is really, really important. And if you want to be a true creator like Ryan Tran or something like go look at his channel, look at the videos he can get away with making because it's the connection to him. It's the type of entertainment that he's delivering. It's not a specific viewer avatar per se. So I think figuring out what you want is really, really, really important. And then just go make videos, man. Like people overthink it like crazy. And YouTube is very much a game where you need to learn. That's why so many people suck so bad because they won't push through the initial awkwardness because on other platforms, they'll give you early dopamine, right? So that's enough to keep people going. On YouTube, you don't get that at all. Everything is earned over on YouTube. So too many people will quit way before they could possibly get the data to YouTube to bring them success. And that's why anybody who says YouTube is luck is absolutely full of shit. Because if that was (laughs) true, how are people like myself growing channels faster and faster every time as it's more saturated, right? Like that wouldn't be possible. So it's not a matter of its its luck. It's a matter of it's a skill that's hard to acquire. Yeah. And... Like you said, like you are still growing accounts. Like we were almost hit 15,000 subscribers over on Flick. We've been growing at a very, very rapid pace over the past few months. And it's because Ben's been working so hard on our YouTube page and making content that people are actually excited about. And we've made so many videos at the beginning that didn't hit. And then we had a few recently that hit so massively Mm -hmm. that now we're just getting all of these people in and they're like sticking around and they're actually participating in our polls or watching our shorts. And it's because he's worked really hard on building that audience and finding out exactly what people are wanting from us. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's super kind of, of you to say, obviously. But And I, I knew that this would happen. Was, the one hard thing with uh, with a lot of other with clients, though, is that they want the gratification now. And YouTube is very <laughs> much a marathon yeah. game. And so that's why whenever we bring on new clients, we typically operate on four to six month minimums for people just because like you need that. And so I, I'm sure a lot of people at Flick were probably like, this is a total waste of time. <laughs> like this is not working. But I, I knew it would work. It's just a matter of getting the data yeah. to the data machine that is YouTube. And now we're growing faster than a lot of the biggest channels in our comp in our space, which is awesome to see. And, and again, it is a very much a long-term investment. And I think that's how you should view content in general. I think people view short form, it's pure transactional, right? Like, it's not like long form investment thinking. And I think that's why it's, it's harder to build something massive off of that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any final words of wisdom for anybody listening to this who is just trying to figure out, I want to get started. I want to like start making YouTube videos. I want to start just doing content in general, but mm -hmm. I'm either embarrassed or I don't know like how to get started. I don't know how to get my first clients. Like what is some general piece of advice that you would give somebody? So the embarrassing piece... I've always been very good at embarrassing myself. I've never really cared that much. <laughs> and that came yeah. from a lot of tough stuff in my childhood where I just kind of adopted the belief of who cares. And, and I think that's <laughs> something that everyone should get to because this is, sounds very morbid, but you die, right? Like we all, we all die. Like if you don't let, or if you stop doing something because of someone's opinion, for one, like when, when you die, everyone's going to forget it anyways. And, and two, yeah. Another practice that's less morbid is think back to the people and things that were important or, or troubling you five or 10 years ago. I guarantee you they're irrelevant now, right? And the yeah. same is going to be true for where you are right now in five or 10 years time. So understanding that why in the world would any of these things have any bearing over you doing something that you genuinely want to do? So I always say that shit. If, if that's what's stopping you, you don't actually want to do it. Because like that, that's what I say to everyone. I'm like, if you really wanted to do it, you'd figure it out. You'd go push through the awkward and you'd make it happen. And, and I think- there you go. And I, I'm also aware that not everyone operates the same way. So start, start with baby steps though, right? Like I, I'm extreme, but start with baby steps. Like maybe it's recording your voice and, and becoming comfortable with that. And then maybe it's getting in front of the camera and then it's maybe publishing some videos. And hey, here's a great thing too. If you're shit at making content, no one's going to see your content. So, so, so who gives a shit, right? Like go make it. And then, and then when, by the time people see it, you'll be good. So it's like, there really is no excuses. And I'm the last person you should ever bring an excuse to because I'll be like, that's dumb. Or like, you figure it out because there's always a way. There's always a way. And on that note, there's always a way that you can make this content. And there's always a way to get Ben to talk about his past experience as a content creator. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, and hey, on that note, don't be afraid to message us at Flick or even me personally. Please. I always, I always reply back to people. And I think that's another big lesson too, is start conversations. Like the fastest way that you can learn is from the failures and lessons of other people. So, so you need to be networking, right? Like you need to be asking these people's questions. So much of my learning was expedited because I forced myself to be around these people that were in the places where I wanted to be. And so do that organically. And then if you have money, like if you really care about what you're trying to do, sit down with someone who's exactly where you want to be and be like, can I, I'll pay you for an hour of your time. So sometimes they'll even do it for free because you showed the initiative, but like that's the kind of an, an uh, attention you need to have to where you want to go. Yep. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for telling us your little story and how you've done this and kind of your various little pathways into being a YouTuber and owning your own agency and working with different clients. Yeah, it was definitely a shit show, but it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I'm really excited to pick your brain and your story next. Yeah. So everybody who's listening to this, 
Obviously, Mackenzie is, is the star of this show, so you do not want to miss that. <laughs> so make sure you click the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed so that you can listen to that amazing episode that will be coming the next, I, I don't know, I don't deal with the programming, so next week yeah, or two. a couple I, weeks. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, if like Ben said, if you like this episode, please give it a big old like and a five-star review because that helps people find our podcast um, you can also follow us over on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube at flick.social. We're on flick.social and everywhere. On Twitter, we are at flick underscore social. And where else are we? Are we anywhere else? We have a newsletter. Please subscribe to our newsletter. It's definitely do that. sometimes funny because sometimes I can be funny. And funny. thank you. I appreciate that. I try really hard, which do, do you? It looks so effortless. It looks so effortless. I think the trying really hard is like the least cool thing about me. <laughs> okay. But hey, that's pro- that's exactly why you got to all the success that you have. So keep the try hard nature. Did we already did we already mention the Facebook group? Yes, please join our Facebook group. You can actually search for Flick Social Hub. I will actually link that in the show notes below. And it has a bunch of different content creators. It has social media managers, digital marketers, a bunch of different people in there and you can ask for some advice. We always post different various social media news that is happening during the week and have some really good communication and chats in there as well. Absolutely. And we're also a resource for you listening to this. If you're still here, you are our core people. So we're here for you. So take advantage of that. If there's content that you want to see, slide up in the DMs and let let us know. <laughs> and, and Mackenzie or I will make that content that can help you get an exact solution to your problem because you're our core people. So definitely take full advantage of that. We are here for you to, uh, to leverage. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Peace.